0: All right, hello, Kia. Hi, Katie. It's great to be here with you. Yes, likewise, I'm so pumped about this conversation, overcoming father wounds. Thank you for, for writing this. Thank you for having this conversation on this
1: podcast.
0: Um, sure. Tell us
1: tell yeah. us about you a little bit, my friend. Let's see. When I'm not writing or hopping on a podcast, I'm a mother of two, a teen and a tween. So I welcome prayers and fasting on Thursday. Yes. Six. six. Uh, Also, I have a husband. We've been married for almost 20 years. uh, So that is pretty amazing. And I also used to be a teacher. I taught for 15 years. And um, after I left teaching, I started a blog called the Father Swap Blog. That was my first blog. I've since changed the name to help women exchange their father wounds for the love of God the Father. And then shortly after that, I created a ministry for Christian women communicators of color, now known as Entrusted Women. And that act of obedience opened the door for me to get a publishing contract. And so I just released my first book two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, uh, Overcoming Father Wounds, Exchanging Your Pain for God's Perfect Love. And here I am on your podcast.
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, I'm first of all shocked that you've been married 20 years. You look so young. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Tell me all of your secrets. Well, Okay, I, I when your email came across my desk, you know, this subject of overcoming father wounds, I couldn't have hit reply, amen, yes, fast enough, because I know there's so many young women listening who clicked on the title of this podcast because like, yes, that relates to me. So I watched your testimony and heard a little bit about your story,
1: but if you don't mind just to go ahead and dive in and tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. And it's so funny, Katie, that people tell me that I'm brave. I don't yeah. know. I feel brave. I think I more so feel called. Uh, When I was in high school, I just felt this inner compelling, uh, a compelling feeling to write a book. And it was about at that at that time, it was called The Void because I knew there was a neediness inside of me. I, I could see it. I, I was someone who was, I was actually voted most likely to succeed when I was in high school. But And so outwardly, I was very performance driven. I was always trying to lead something, trying to create something, trying to innovate. But then there was just this neediness of always wanting to be coupled up, always wanting to be in a relationship. Uh, not really knowing who I was or what my worth was apart from another person. And so I go to college trying to write this book and I work on it off and on in college. And I I thought I was going to be discovered, Katie, because apparently we know everything when we're 20, right? Of course we did. yes. (laughs) I may be talking to a bunch of 20 year olds. You guys know, I didn't know then. Uh, And, you know, so that wasn't God's plan. And I take this book on with me into marriage because I got married shortly after I graduated from college and I still work on this book. But, you know, marriage is like putting two pieces of sandpaper together and rubbing them and seeing what happens. And so, you know, God was rubbing on me with his holy sandpaper. And uh, I began to realize that I had father wounds. I I began Mm. to get this language to describe some of the uh, issues and the ills that I was seeing inside of me. And so I did counseling and started discovering books and started discovering TV shows and things like that. And I'm working, working, working on this book um, to to take take to a, a conference. To I had discovered she speaks, and right before I went to that conference, this um little book baby that I only had on an external hard drive I dropped it (laughs) I dropped it I lost everything and yeah I was so discouraged because it had been like by this point it had been maybe 10 15 years I don't know and a friend of mine said you know what you should everything that you were going to write and write about it's still in you you should start a blog yeah I start this blog and it was really the best thing that could have happened to me. I say that now because I began to engage with the women that I believe God was calling me to reach. I began to do some deep, deep work on myself. There was still a lot of things that God was doing in my relationship with him, in my relationship with my father, and uh, just in terms of healing and so that journey lasted more than 20 years, and the desire to write this book, it never left me. I, I've given up several times. I've asked God to take it from me several times. I've said I'll just be a mom. I'll just be a wife several times. But uh, I, I often say that when God wants you to do something, sometimes it's like a haunting you just feel haunted every at every turn, even when you try to not do it. You can't kind of like the Jonah and the whale situation. Yes, I was thinking and, the same thing. You know, so when people say you're brave, it's like, oh, I don't feel like I really had a choice because God was really pressing this issue on my heart. I feel like I can relate to
0: so many things you just said. I'm just like, can we be soul sisters? Because first of all, same, I I don't know. Do you know what the Enneagram is? I'm the Enneagram three. I I do, I do, but I haven't taken it. It's a little bit of a rebellion, but tell me, (laughs) go ahead and tell me. Well, I'm just curious because you said most likely to be successful and all the things you did to achieve makes me think that you might be a three too, but anyway, (laughs) same. And, you know, I was the one wanting to do all the things and also same with the whole haunting. And, uh, you know, when people say that I'm I'm brave for doing this podcast or, or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just doing, it. because God was like, wouldn't leave me alone about it in the best way. Obviously, right, you know, you feel yeah. like you're in your calling. You feel like, okay, thank you, God. I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be, but it, it, it sure ain't because I'm brave. It's because I'm scared <laughs> to death. I'm just, you know, walking forward anyways. Anyway, I'm just so thankful that you, although, like you said, losing the book wasn't ideal. It wasn't what you had planned. Obviously that starting afresh came, you know, led you to write this woods oh, yeah. book. So, okay. It was, the now be- it
1: was the best possible thing that could have happened. No one on the face of the planet needed 18-year-old Kia to write a book. No one. No one, <laughs> one needed 25-year-old Kia or 30-year-old Kia. They needed 40, 43-year-old Kia to write this book because 43-year-old Kia has walked through something. You know, mm-hmm. I can really say what it means to be overcoming. I like to point out the present progress. Progressive form of the verb overcome. It, it doesn't mean that I've arrived or that I we've put a period at this juncture in my story. It, it simply means that I am in the process of overcoming a deep wound. Yeah, yeah, in the process. I'm also
0: 43, so I'm going to adopt you <laughs> as my right, best friend. <laughs> we are going to be soul sisters, <laughs> whether you like it or not. All right. So obviously you have some father wounds, some stuff that you've walked through, if you can share with me a little bit about that
1: backstory. Sure. So I didn't really have the aha epiphany moment until I was in college. Uh, I remember, and I went to a a historically black all girls school here in Atlanta, Georgia. So you can probably figure it out, which school I went to. And um, I was in the dorm room of a friend and I remember her saying, I made this bookshelf with my dad. And I don't know what it was about that bookshelf, but it really triggered me. It, it was really like, wait, you did something with your father? And up until that point, my mother and father got a divorce when I was about three-ish, and so I, um, the memories that I had of my dad, I had a few memories of court ordered visitations. We actually went to a facility and, and I was there for a designated amount of time and spent time with my dad that way. I have one memory of a visitation at his house with his girlfriend at the time. Uh, and then I have another memory of him dropping, uh, taking me to get a bike. I remember that. And then outside of that, the memories I have was of my father leaving gifts on the front porch of my grandparents' home. And so when she was saying I built this bookshelf with my dad, I was kind of like, wait, wait, what? You did what with your dad? You know, in order to do that, you would have to have a relationship with him. And I was like, I don't have that. I don't have that. And I was in all of my feelings. And I remember leaving her dorm room and just having a a whole ugly cry. I mean, it was just a whole ugly cry. And after that, I went to talk to uh, who, someone who was like a mentor for me. And I told her everything and she totally understood and said, um, told me what she had done because she also had father wounds mm-hmm. and she had detailed all the events of her life that her dad missed. And then she sent it to her father and said, I want a relationship. Let's start from here. So wow. I was like, okay. I'm going to do the exact same thing and I'm going to have the exact same results <laughs> because I was 20, right? <laughs> and and we know everything. We were 20. And so I send this letter off to my dad. He does subsequently end up uh, reaching back out to me and so we start connecting. We start spending time together, going out to eat. When I was home from college and I would invite him to my mother's probably shock, uh, to Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. I was doing everything I could. I was pursuing my father almost, um, I would say to the equivalent of what a man would do for a woman that he wanted to, to marry because I desperately wanted to have this relationship with my father. And I was going to do everything that was in my power to to get it. And I did that way into my adulthood. I, I also, in, in doing that, there were some times I tried to rescue my dad. There were some times that I was Trying to be enough for the relationship, that I can sustain the relationship. My love is enough. My effort is enough. My my um, my um, effort to pursue my father, to call him, to visit him, to do all the things I thought would be enough to manifest this relationship that I had fantasized over, that relationship that my friend said she had that would enable them to build a bookshelf. You know, I was going to do that. And that pursuit really led me to the foot, to the feet of Jesus, to the, I was going to say the foot of the Uh cross. We could say either one, the foot of the cross and the feet of Jesus. You know, that's, that's where it led me because I realized that, um, expectations lead to disappointment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oftentimes. I also realize that when you endeavor to build a relationship with your father and he hasn't been in your life for 18 plus years, you don't know him and he doesn't know you. Yeah. In my situation, there were so many barriers between us. My father's Haitian. So there was a language barrier. There was a gender barrier. There was just a stranger barrier. We didn't know each other. There was a, a barrier in terms of lifestyle choices, decisions that my dad had made and, and decisions that I chose to make. We lived totally different. So there were a lot of hurdles that I didn't anticipate. A lot of things I didn't process uh, when I entered into the relationship with my father. And so in my book, I really talk about some of the things God had to do in me in order for me to be at a place where I could say I'm overcoming um, father wounds. I
0: love your like, you know, gusto, you know, me and dad are going to hold hands and skip (laughs) on the rainbows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it, but it's so sweet and innocent too, because that that little girl in you who you know wants the daddy to pick her up and dance in the living room and all of these magical things we have pictured, and reality is a slap across the face sometimes. <laughs> nice one, a nice one, a nice one, yeah. But I guess if maybe I, I know there's girls listening who okay, I have a wounded relationship with my dad. I think that you did the noble thing, and you want to heal that, and I'm, I'm sure there was some some good to that too. I guess. Are are there some tips on how to start or, yeah,
1: expectations maybe? (laughs) Well, definitely for. Women who are considering reaching out to a father, I have a list of questions in my book that I highly recommend they process first, process through alone by themselves or with a trusted, licensed professional counselor. Uh, Things like, what if my father doesn't want a relationship with me? What if my father refuses to acknowledge any wrongdoing? What if my father doesn't apologize? What if my father has a whole nother family? What if my father has children that he fathered? But he didn't father me. What if my father has a family that doesn't know about me, and he like to he would like it like to keep it that way? Uh, he's not. What if he's just not interested in a relationship with me? Uh, and I ask women to process those questions first because um, it's just a preparation. It's just a preparation to really count the cost and really go walk yourself through the very, very worst thing that could happen so that you are prepared and that your heart is not left torn into a thousand pieces. It'll still hurt if any one of those things turns out to be true, but at least you will have processed it and you will give a gift to yourself in the sense of not walking into this relationship with these expectations that it's going to be the, the result is going to be the absolute best outcome that you, you desire. It might be that. It really might be that. I sincerely hope it would be that. But I want to prepare you in the event that it's not that. Uh, and so in addition to that, I also have some recommendations in terms of forgiveness. And, and forgiveness has been key in terms of getting the relationship where where my relationship currently is with my dad in order for it to have gotten there to that place there were some things i had to do all on my own um i had to forgive my father and one of the tips that i offer is a forgiveness letter i actually have the template for the forgiveness letter inside of my book uh where i walk through and and the, the same forgiveness letter that I use for myself, for my father and for God, cause I had some issues with God also. Uh, and it's brought me so much healing. And, and I want to say that, In my situation, I didn't just willy-nilly go out and get this forgiveness letter, but I had a counselor suggest it to me. And I thought she was pretty crazy at the time because I was like, you know, why should I forgive my father if he wasn't in my life? There's nothing to forgive. But I took her up on her advice. And when I sat down to write that forgiveness letter, Katie, I almost couldn't get through it. When I began to list out all of the things that I wanted him there for and he wasn't there and all of the con- consequences that I think were directly and indirectly connected to his absence, I just began to cry over and over. I, it took multiple times to sit down and pen this letter. And then after that, I used another counseling technique, which is the empty chair, where I I placed an empty chair across from me, and I sat in another chair across from that chair, and I read out this letter. And that also took a long time for me to get through, because I'm envisioning my father sitting in this chair across from me, and I'm saying everything that I want to say to him in person, but I know it would not be wise for me to say in person, Uh, and let me just give a little caveat here, don't give the letter to your dad. Don't do that uh, because it's going to prompt you to say some things that just absolutely should not be said. It's not our job to inflict pain on our fathers, to make them hurt in the way that they have hurt us because we're still believers. We're still followers of Christ. We still want to honor this person because that's what the scriptures encourage us to do and admonish us to do. So that's what I endeavor to do. And the other thing is, you know, what I've discovered about forgiveness is that forgiveness is not dismissing, denying justifying or condoning or even reconciling with our fathers forgiveness is not even for our fathers forgiveness is for us and it simply means I'm relinquishing my right to hold another person responsible for the wrong that they have legitimately done to me yes he legitimately did do something that is wrong I'm not saying he didn't do anything that's wrong I'm saying let's give it to God Because God is big enough, great enough, sovereign enough, omnipotent enough, omnipresent enough to handle it far better than we ever could. That's what forgiveness is. So all those things I recommend walking through the forgiveness journey prior to engaging with your father, Uh, because you don't want to engage in this relationship with the you owe me and you should have, especially if It's not going to be returned with an apology or with a, I give a care, you know, we, we don't want to do that. We want to take it to the Lord, let the Lord deal with it and ask him to cleanse our heart and make us the best version of us that we could possibly be before we ever begin to engage with our fathers. Um, A a couple of other things I want to say, um, I I was on a radio interview and uh, they had a caller call in and and she said, I went to my father and he said, You're just like another woman to me. Mm -hmm. And she said, and I've forgiven him, but I, you know, how do you how do you respond to something like that? How do you and I could just hear that she had not forgiven him even though yeah. she said she forgave him and I could hear how she had taken on the hurt and taken on the pain and and taken on all the this this identity of being rejected uh, or and holding tight to that wound of rejection and I want to say that you know I have had to do a whole lot of cognitive behavioral therapy for my mind Uh, And basically what cognitive behavioral therapy is, is where you identify the lies that you or the thoughts that are in your head uh, and and identify what of those thoughts is truth and what of those thoughts is a lie. And then you counter that, that um, the lie that you identify uh, that's driving your behavior with the truth of God's word. And so I would also say that to women to begin to think about the thoughts that they are thinking. Think about the things that they're saying to themselves. Are you saying, I am unlovely? I am not wanted. I am not beautiful. I am not smart enough. Um, My worth is dependent upon my anatomy. Uh, Things like this are, are thoughts that we may have roaming around in our brain that we allow to drive our behavior that we don't often think about. But when we see a behavior that we're, we're doing, let's say dating the wrong guy, sleeping around a lot, uh, being very flirtatious or, you know, any of these thoughts, we do need to begin to ask ourselves, why, why do I do that? Yeah. Why, why are I behaving like this? If I consider myself someone of value, someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made, that the Lord says, why do I find myself having a one night stand or sleeping with my boyfriend even though I want to wait until I'm married? Why am I doing that? Am I afraid that if I don't perform sexually in that relationship, that he's going to leave me, he's going to abandon me, he's not going to want me? If that is the case, I want to be really gentle here and say, I believe that the Lord does not condemn you.
0: Yeah,
1: I believe he does not condemn you. I believe the Lord wants you to know how much he loves you, yeah. how much he loves you. I believe he wants you to know that there's a better way. Yeah. I believe he wants you to know that you have worth and you have value apart from your anatomy and you don't have to perform to keep anybody's love. Yes. Preach. Yeah, I I believe he wants you to know that he offers his love freely, unconditionally, and it's lavish. It is lavish and it's available for you if you have the courage to walk away from that relationship, to walk away from that guy who's offering you these compliments and telling you everything you want to hear, but you know it's only going to lead to sex. And that's not the road you want to walk down. If you have the courage to, to say, I'm going to lay sex down. I'm going to lay this relationship down just for one year. Let's just let just start with what can we do one year or one month? God, will you show me who you are to me? Will you show me who I am? Will you show me my worth? My father never told me. And so I went out here to all these different people trying to look for it. God, will you show me who I am? Will you help me to be satisfied and secure and, and sustained in your love alone? Yes. And I, I, I firmly believe that God will meet every single woman that finds herself there. Um, I, I talk about a couple of women in, in the Bible that uh, I saw God meeting. One of them is the woman caught in adultery. I absolutely love her. I I love her story. You know, there's so many questions we have surrounding her circumstance. The most dominant would be where was the man that was also caught in adultery with her. But now here she stands about to face death in between this judgmental crowd and Jesus. And Jesus writes something in the sand. And I just imagine her head being down, filled with shame and embarrassment. She's been humiliated. The whole crowd knows what she did. And then Jesus saves her life. He saves her life and says, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. That's the reality. We're all... Sinners. We are, right. we are all sinners, you know, and I imagine this woman lifting her head up and meeting the eyes of Jesus and, and him saying, go and sin no more. Where are, the, where are those that condemn you? Then neither do I condemn you and go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn us, but he does say, leave that life of sin. And also, whatever it was that was drawing drawing you to it, I have something far better.
0: Oh man, I hope you are enjoying this conversation as much as I am. Hey, if you want to talk some more, I offer online mentoring. What most girls do is they book a one-time call and then you are sent a discounted link for all of our future calls. You get a discount on that. So I would love to just chat with you, man. Overcoming father wounds is a big deal, right? If you need an unbiased third party to chat it out, I want to help you out. So the links to all the information you need is in the show notes to this episode. All right, let's get back to our conversation. I wrote down something I want to come back to that you said forgiveness is for us, not for them, because that is so huge. I know um, in my own journey of like overcoming father wounds and stuff. And, you know, this sounds crazy, but for me, one of the most healing things was changing my highlight reel because there's actually a YouTube channel where they take the same movie and they'll take clips and they make it a horror film or a drama or a comedy or a romance. The same exact movie, and they're taking the highlights. And for me, there is brokenness. You know, there was infidelity. There was um, a lot of stuff that I wish I would have had with my father. But there was good, and there was dancing, and there was singing, and there and there was the Girl Scout dances and stuff. And so I want that highlight reel, especially as a grown up. I don't need to demand could have, should have, woulda. I want to remember the good stuff. And so I think that that that's such a healing thing to think about especially you know as you are in your 20s and beyond why not remember the good stuff why instead of you weren't you didn't you should have yeah but you know they they have their own wounds and they're doing their best they can and they we can go on forever generational about why they didn't show up the way they should have but you're grown up now and we have to face our own responsibility and move forward and hopefully remember the good louder than the bad
1: Yeah. You know, and the other thing, I I don't know who said this and I'm probably going to jack it up, but uh, someone said forgiveness is like unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. Yes. Uh, It's not going to happen. We were never designed by God to walk around carrying this heavy weight of unforgiveness. Uh, And the other thing that I want to say in Lisa Turkhurst's book, uh, she forgiving what you can't forget. She succinctly says that forgiveness is two parts. It's both supernatural. Well, let me go back. It's both practical. The practical part is an act of our will where we relinquish our right to hold another person responsible for the wrong that they've done to us. That's our part right there. Um, But then the supernatural part is where we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you please help my mind and my heart to follow suit? We may have to do that one time. We may have to do it a thousand times. But I believe that God is faithful and he will answer that prayer. You know, and we have a really savvy devil. We have a really savvy enemy. And he's able to come into our brain and communicate to us in first person. So we think that it's us thinking that thought, but it's not. And he'll say things like, Oh, you know, that person will never change. And you know, they got away with it. They got away and they'll hurt you. They'll always be like that. And you're always gonna be like that. And you're a pushover, you're you know, you're this, you're that, or whatever. And so we have to talk back to our very real enemy. We have to use the word of God to counter the thoughts that are coming into our brain that are not in in line with the word of God. The scripture that says um, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God through the pulling down. We have to pull those thoughts down, pulling down strongholds and casting down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what we have to do. We have to be vigilant about it because we, we do have an enemy that will come back and remind us and rehearse those things that have happened to us over and over and over again.
0: I want you to unpack kind of what you just said about how a lot of people will say, oh yeah, you know, my dad was absent, but it doesn't really affect me. Um, Which probably does, like you said, you kind of had that realization in that dorm room with the shelf. So that, and then also how that relationship
1: with our dad affects how we see God. Sure. You know, I've had so many people say that to me that that doesn't really bother me. I I remember I was I actually I talk about a a friend of mine, a previous friend of mine that uh, she was very sexually active and um, she I mentioned it to her. I mentioned it to her about father's. And she kind of dismissed me and said, oh, you think that I'm sexually active? has something to do with my father? That's crazy. That doesn't make make any sense. And I didn't do a good job of convincing her. But what I would say is that God has a design. He had an ultimate design um, that involved the family, for the family, that involved Adam and Eve. Yeah. And as children, we receive something from our mother and we receive something altogether different from our fathers. Um, right. And so if our father was not present, then what God ultimately designed for us to receive from our father, we're not able to receive that. Right. And so I would suggest to those who are saying what well, didn't really impact me. I would suggest that they investigate what does a father provide for a daughter growing up what i've discovered through reading um h norman Wright's always daddy's girl and bringing up girls by dr james dobson is that fathers are the lens through which the daughter views the male gender mm-hmm. he is the first man that she is supposed to ever lay eyes on. He is the first man to teach her her worth and her value and to give her security and confidence to affirm her femininity, to tell her who she is apart from her anatomy, that she is special and unique and chosen. And so for me, that didn't happen. And it impacted me, especially in my relationships with the opposite sex. And so I would encourage the women that are listening to really do some deep introspection and evaluate, were there some things that I didn't receive from my father? What were those? And and if there were, if they were, I would ask them to be honest. Mm -hmm. And that's. That's a tall order right there. And nobody Mm want to really be honest about themselves, you know, because we might discover some things that we're like, (laughs) oh, you know, Uh, but be honest and say, are there some indicators in my life that would suggest I have been wounded by my father and I've learned to compensate and I've learned to substitute this emptiness or this longing or this void with fill in the blank. Okay, so I'm going to leave that right there. And then the other thing I would say is years ago, I discovered this quote in The Washington Times that says it's common for people to perceive that God is like their father or fatherly figures in their life. And I was just like mind blown here because this is a secular source that is that is substantiating a spiritual truth that fathers also provide a lens by which we view God. And so if we had a distant father, we could perceive God as distant or abusive or absent or a dictator or dominant or cruel or abusive or, or whatever we could uh, in it inadvertently place these attributes that we had, that we saw with our biological father onto God as our heavenly father. And so we find ourselves at church saying, okay, Jesus, I think I can get with Jesus. Holy spirit sounds a little bit weird, but, and, but God is father. Mm, No, thanks. No, thanks. I'll take one out of the three or maybe two out of the three because my experience with father was less than desirable. And God, if that's who you're like, if that's, if that's what you're like, I don't want any part of it. And not to mention, if you're so great, if you're so loving and so kind, I don't understand how you allowed me to have this type of father, biological father. What's up with that? And First, I would say I understand. I, I totally understand. And I had to wrestle with God. We learn about Jacob wrestling with God um, in the wilderness. I, I wrestled with God in my own wilderness because I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I didn't know who he really was. Uh, I was frustrated with the circumstance of my my family relationship with my dad. I, I was just angry, angry for many, many years. And what I discovered was that God had placed all these attributes of who he is in in the pages of scripture. And you can see it in the way he engages with humanity. It's just that one example I just gave of the woman caught in adultery. We saw compassion. We saw kindness. We saw his unfailing love. We saw forgiveness. We saw righteous indignation. Um, we saw the heart of a father that would come in and rescue his daughter. Yeah, that's who God is. That's yeah. who God is. And so all of us are challenged to view God not through the lens of our biological father, but as He is, as He has revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture and. Particularly, I would encourage the listeners to look at the way God engages, Jesus as God engages with women. Mm-hmm. Look at how he engages with the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. She, she's my favorite. Look at how he engages with the woman who um, had an issue of blood.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Look at how he engages with Mary when she anointed his feet. And and wiped his feet with her hair, and and, and Judas was like, well, "We could have made some money with that. We could have sold that that perfume." What were you thinking? Look at how he um, said, "What she has done to me will be will be shared all over the world." Look at that. Okay, yeah. the way that that Jesus elevated women and 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 really defended women. That's the same way that he is um, with us. And he is a reflection of God, the father. If you have seen Jesus, you have also seen God, the father.
0: And what he did for women was revolutionary too. You know, in a time where women women didn't, their their testimony didn't even hold water in court. They, uh, you know, were considered property. They were second class citizens. And Jesus was like, no, like, and actually you mentioned the woman that, well, she's my favorite, the longest recorded conversation with Jesus in scripture is with a heartbroken girl, you yeah. know, wow. like, yeah. yeah. So I, I couldn't say enough about what you just said. That's so good. And so important. I am so thankful that you are having these conversations. I know just not on my podcast, on lots of podcasts and your book, which is out into the world, overcoming father wounds. Thank you for while well, you think it's not brave. I think it's brave putting those words down <laughs> and so helpful. To so many women out there. So I'm just so grateful for what you're doing. Um, I want to ask a question, our million dollar question on this podcast, and hopefully I I bet you have some good stuff. And that is, if you could have coffee with your 20 year old self,
1: what would you say? Oh, man. (laughs) Rarely am I tongue tied. Um, Find out what God thinks about you. Because you're thinking some thoughts about yourself that are not true. Yeah. I would also say the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. I think I'd stop there. (laughs) Well, probably not, but I think I'm going to stop there.
0: (laughs) That's good. I'm thinking about yourself in the dorm room with that whole, you know, eureka moment of the shelf and everything and giving that sweet girl hug and being like, Mm
1: -hmm. the
0: best is yet to come. Find out what God thinks about you first. That's, that's good
1: stuff. Where can everyone find out more about you and the book? Sure. They can find out more about me at www.kiastevens.com. Uh, if you want to specifically get to the book, you just go www.kiastevens.com <laughs> forward slash books. And outside of that, all my socials, I hang out on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And I also have a podcast called Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast. And one other initiative I'd love to share is that I wanted to partner with uh, an organization that impacts women who've been victims of sex trafficking. And so I partner with Wellspring Living. It's a local nonprofit here in the Atlanta metro area that provides resources and residential housing for victims of sex trafficking. Oftentimes, uh, victims find themselves in this situation because they were preyed upon by men that posed as father figures or love interest. And so I wanted to be able to provide a book for every woman that wants one in the residential living programs at Wellspring Living. And so if you're interested in purchasing a book and paying it forward for a woman at Wellspring Living, you simply go to hopeforhercampaign.com hopeforhercampaign.com. You can also find a link to that at on my website at kiestephens.com.
0: I'll make sure we link all that.
1: Um, I definitely want to look into that as well. So thank you for what you're doing and for this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. It's been a pleasure and I always want women to know there is hope. No matter where you are, no matter what circumstance you're facing, there is hope. God can do anything. You're awesome. Thank you, Kia.